When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It is, of course, our weekly roundtable. So Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, and I are going to hand out quarter season awards after four games. Yeah, I know, it's a 17-game schedule, but we can't stop and hand these things out after the first quarter on Sunday. You're going to hear that joke again, by the way, actually, in the podcast. A little double up for you. Anyway, if you're not a football insider subscriber, now is the time to do it. Go to cleveland.com slash browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page to get signed up. You get a daily newsletter delivered to your inbox. You get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns, and you can become one of our text subscribers. Okay, let's hand out some hardware. It's the quarter season awards on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And here we go on our Wednesday roundtable. We're going to give out quarter season awards. Uh, I guess technically if we wanted this to be the actual quarter of the season, we'd have to record this after the first quarter on Sunday. But we will not do that. We'll do it now after four games. Uh, I've got a list of of awards here that we're going to go through. Uh, They are offensive player, uh, best defensive player, not named Miles Garrett, uh, best rookie, biggest surprise, a player poised to make a leap, the most disappointing, and then the best and the worst moments. So we'll kind of work our way through these here. And let's just start, you know, let's start on the defensive side of the ball. That's what everybody's talking about. I already said that you can't name Miles Garrett your defensive player of the year because I wanted there to be some room for debate here. So, uh, Miles, we're going to, I guess, just give you the MVP because we don't have that on our list. So the non-Miles Garrett defensive player of the year, this is a tough one. Uh, what, what do you guys think? Mary Kay, do you have somebody? Oh, Alice, go ahead. Yeah, I'll start. I, I went with Davion Clowney. Uh, I would have been, this would have been a harder decision prior to Sunday, uh, but I thought it was clear, you know, aside from Miles Garrett, which is the premise of this discussion and topic, he was the best defensive player on the field for the Browns. Um, he is a monster in, in run defense, as we expected coming in. And, you know, against quarterbacks that can't escape the pocket, he's able to jackknife inside it and get the job done. His 21 pressures uh, rank six league-wide. Uh, of course, that's second on the team only to Miles. I think he has 25. And as of now, Clowney's been a- as advertised. I know there was a little inconsistency early after that Chiefs game. Uh, but without having a, a number two to, to Miles Garrett, I don't think we see Miles having the season he is thus far, uh, which to me puts Clowney in a, in a spot really on his own, a, a guy worthy of being a number one, but not asked to do so. And he's really just wreaking havoc uh, to opposing offensive lines with a variation of, of power to speed. And it, it's been it's been fun to watch again, as advertised for Jadavion Clowney coming in. Yeah, Ellis, that's who I had too. Um, I, I just for a lot of the reasons you said. And, and when you look at the pressures uh, across the league, you've got Max Crosby as the leader. Harold Landry is second. Miles Garrett is tied with Landry. Joey Bosa fourth. Daniil Hunter tied for fourth. And then Jadavian Clowney sixth. So the Browns have two guys in the top six in pressures. Uh, and, and a big part of that is Clowney. And part of this too is I just watched the Cardinals game from Sunday against the Rams. 
And it, it just sort of reinforces this idea that when you play somebody like Kyler Murray, who's so slippery and, and just so difficult to bring down and presents challenges that other quarterbacks just don't, we're really going to feel the impact of Clowney moving forward. So, so that's who I had to. I did not have Clowney. <clears throat> I went a different direction uh, and I'm going to, I'm going with this guy and I'm pretending like week one didn't happen. I'm going <laughs> to pretend like Travis Kelsey doesn't exist. Uh, I went with Malcolm Smith because I just wanted to be different. Uh, the Browns are without their first two choices for middle linebacker. You know, Walker and, and Phillips have been out and Smith has kind of stepped in and he's played extremely well. He's third in defensive grade so far on this team. If you want to go by PFF, uh, he's first in coverage grade on the team. And that's really important. Uh, and it's not really a surprise based on last year because he did really well with that. But based on training camp and what we saw, it is kind of a surprise because he didn't get many first team reps. There were other guys kind of seemed like they were passing him by, you know, Mac Wilson and JOK. Um, but his experience has seemed to really matter. And it matters last mattered last season too to Joe Woods. And he seems to be comfortable having him on the field um, just like he did last year. He ranked seventh in defensive grade among linebackers over the three weeks that he started. And, and JOK is like second and having, you know, a great year from what, you know, limited snaps, but he's actually had twice as many snaps as JLK. And I think he's been as important as anybody uh, over this stretch of, you know, the last few games. Yeah. Mal Malcolm Smith is an interesting choice and he's somebody that I kicked around and it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, the, this award is for the first four games and certainly Malcolm Smith, what he's brought to this defense um, has, has been really important and without Anthony Walker and Mary Kay, he's kind of a guy we forget about sometimes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. He's, he's definitely easy to forget about, but uh, invariably you look up and he is making a play. He's been very, very active, as Scott pointed out. Uh, so this is an intriguing and interesting one. And because we do forget about him, uh, you know, it's, it's something that he, he's not front of mind on a defense full of big name star guys. So I think this is really intriguing and an interesting choice here. And he also should get you know, some really good honorable mention uh, from the fact that he had to step in cold for Anthony Walker, who was calling def the defensive signals and was going to be such a key part of being the glue to hold this whole thing together. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think this is a really excellent choice. It's not one I would have thought of myself. Uh, I actually think that after Miles Garrett, you could go a number of different ways here and everybody's making good cases for uh, for their choices so far. Yeah. And, and with Malcolm Smith real quick, he's a guy that is really benefiting from the Browns front fours stout run defense, uh, which allows him to thrive in coverage. You know, if, if he was a guy who was asked to be, a, you know, a true run stopping uh, linebacker, I think you, you'd have some issues, but his strengths are in coverage. Um, you can see the, the safety play being able to also complement. Uh, him in the run game, he's able to clean some stuff up. And again, it's just a really nice situation for a, a savvy veteran like Malcolm Smith to be in, which is serving what he does best well. In a, and that's in coverage like Scott laid out. Okay. So we've got two for Clowney, one for Malcolm Smith. Mary Kay, who do you have? All right. You know, I am going to go with uh, maybe a little bit of a, a surprising choice and perhaps it might be a little bit of a reach, but I am going to go with JOK here. Uh, I think JOK has, has come in and done a really nice job in all different aspects of the game, in tackling, in coverage, in pressure, 
Uh, right now, according to PFF, he is the number two ranked Browns defender behind Miles Garrett, which is saying a lot for a really young guy like that to be able to come in there and, uh, and do the job that he has done. I haven't looked at the linebacker rankings this week, but heading into this game, uh, he was the number one rated linebacker in the NFL with a 90.1 grade, according to Pro Football Focus. And that is really lofty, lofty status for a young guy uh, that was drafted in the second round, as we all know, out of Notre Dame to come in and climb to the top of the ranks after three full games. So I thought that was pretty good. He only had 66 snaps when he had that. I'm going to look up real quick where he's at now, um, unless somebody else has that up. But, um, but I think that, uh, you know, for him to be in this, uh, in this spot, doing this and being a rookie at the same time and a rookie that missed so much time in, in training camp, I, I think it's pretty darn remarkable. And I think that the arrow is up. Oh, he's number two now. Wait, let me get my minimum. Let me get to the minimum amount of snaps that I would. Yeah, he dropped behind Matt Milano. Okay, so he's behind Matt Milano of the Bills, but he's still number two at 89.8. I mean, that is, that's pretty remarkable, in my opinion, for, for a young guy to do that. I think it bodes really well for his future. And uh, good pick by the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I mean, you called this a reach. I don't necessarily think it is a reach, though. I think he's in that discussion. He's, he's one of the players that if you sat down and listed who were your defensive MVPs of the first quarter of the season, he's he's on that list based on what we've seen, especially over the last two weeks. So uh, I don't think it's a reach. And in fact, I mean, let we, we don't need to have multiple JOK discussions here. So let, let's kind of combine this with the uh, the top rookie of the first quarter of the season as well and, and continue the JOK discussion because that's who I had um, as, as my top rookie um, was JOK because he's really come in and, and sort of in a, after a camp of some stops and starts and, you know, Mary Kay, you've discussed how difficult that can be for a young guy. He's really kind of hit the ground running once they sort of handed things over to him. And I, I think he's essentially locked down that starting linebacker job, even though they don't officially list him as a starter. I think he's, pretty much got that thing locked down over, you know, Mac Wilson, Sione Taki Taki um, and, and some of those other guys. So uh, he's, he's not my defensive player of the first quarter. He was somebody I thought about, but he's definitely my rookie of the first quarter. Does everybody else have JOK as, as their rookie too? I do. Um, he shows up a couple of times on our, on our list here. I think he, he, I just think he's, he hasn't been out there obviously as much as Greg uh, Newsom, but uh, I just think his impact from what they've given him to do has been great. He leads all linebackers in pass breakups uh, this season, like NFL wise, not just Browns. So um, yeah, he's doing great. And I think he was an easy choice for me as rookie. Yeah. Same with me. He's also a special team stud. Uh, his kickoff coverage, he's just been flying down the field and, and he's a guy that really just ha finds a way around the football. And Dan, you said it, it and the Vikings game solidified it. He's surpassed Mac Wilson and uh, Sony Taki Taki as the, number two linebacker in snap count. And then uh, really the, the team's best linebacker overall, uh, just based on pure athleticism and traits. Uh, I think when Anthony Walker gets back, that'll be a, an impressive one, two punch. I don't know exactly what's going to happen to Malcolm Smith. It'll be interesting to see how th those snaps play out. Uh, but just from an upside standpoint, Browns fans should be ecstatic. This is probably going to go down as a steal of the draft. Yeah. The sixth most special team snaps, by the way, on the, on the team, to your point, Ellis, go ahead, Mary Kay. 
Um, I also have him as, as my top defensive rookie. Uh, for me, it was really no question. Greg Newsom hasn't been tested much. And of course he missed the past game. So, uh, you know, those things, you know, taken together made this an easy choice for me. Um, but I, I think a, a couple things here too, real quick are the fact that, um, I really think that he can challenge for NFL defensive rookie of the year by the time it's all said and done, because I think he's going to add some takeaways into his game very soon. I think he's going to start to make those kind of impact plays. Joe Woods wanted to take it a little easy with him, even though I think um, he was probably ready for more earlier than Joe Woods wanted to give him. He wanted to ease him into the lineup a little bit, but I think those days are over. I think it's, it's time for JOK to, play as much as they can have him out there on the field. Therefore, I think he's going to have more opportunities to, you know, get the ball, dig the ball out of there, maybe get some interceptions, maybe get some sacks. Uh, I think he's going to have a really nice stat line by the time it's all said and done. And, um, and when you guys talk about Anthony Walker coming back, I think that uh, I think that's when JOK is really going to pop and he's popped already, but I think that Anthony Walker is going to be, a mentor on the field as well as off of the field. And as the signal caller and as the guy standing next to him on every play, uh, I think that he's really going to help him sort of figure out where to be when, and it's going to give JOK a confidence to play even faster. And he plays fast as heck as it is. Um, and so I think really great things will happen when, when Anthony gets back with him. Hey, by the way, if we had a category, which rookie looks like an eight year vet, I think JOK would win that guy. Uh, does not look or sound like a rookie. Like, I think it's the scraggly beard. He's got a few more lines on his face. I think than most, most young guys too. He, he looks older and just the way he talks during interviews, you know, Anthony Schwartz is very, I'm looking straight ahead at the camera and I will answer every question straight ahead of the camera. Uh, some of the other young guys are like that. Um, not, not JOK. He looks like he's been doing this for quite a few years and feels very comfortable. Mm-hmm. How much thought did each of you give to um to greg newsom for this because i it's so hard sometimes to judge these to judge corners uh especially if they're not getting a bunch of turnovers i mean it can be really hard to just sit there and say oh yeah this guy's playing great or this guy's not and you know so so that can be tough i I think newsom has been really good though and, and i did debate a little bit as to whether i should go with newsom over jok I think just missing the Vikings game took him out of it for this one and seeing GOK snap count skyrocket solidified it. But uh, I think Greg's been excellent and and not getting tried to me says a lot about teams already respecting him or at least the, the, the prospect of throwing elsewhere. And he's just a, he's going to be another guy that is going to be a cornerstone of this defense uh, along with GOK going forward. I've got a, um, I got to back up for a minute because Scott, I, that's so funny that you should say that about the uh, you know, the oldest looking rookie or the, the guy who looks more like an eight year veteran, because the first time we ever talked to him, you know, I got this sort of like Idris Elba vibe, you know, I, you know, he almost like if he had a little bit of gray in his beard, you know, there, yeah. there's, there's a little bit of a similarity there. Right. I mean, he just has this, he's an older soul too. He's, he's not only is he, does he look a little older? Um, but he, um, he's an older soul. He, his, he thinks a little differently than, than your average rookie does. He's got a lot of very uh, deep thoughts in that head of his. So, um, so that's funny that you should mention that. Cause I always thought of that about him too. There have been other players that I've felt that way, that they sort of looked like they've been around for a while and they're like 
22, you know, it's kind of funny. If he was, if he was from the Dominican Republic, we'd have to go on a search for his birth certificate. <laughs> exactly. I, very, very I, I was not expecting Idris Elba vibes in this, uh, in this <laughs> podcast, but is JOK going to shock us one day and suddenly have a yeah. British accent? Yeah. But you can see it, right? I mean, can I, you see it? Yeah, no? I, I do. I hear it. Yep. Okay. And that's what, um, that's what three or four years at Notre Dame will, will do to you. He, 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 <laughs> um, but, program. Yeah. You know what, Greg Newsom, the moment is not too big for Greg Newsom. And that is really good for the Cleveland Browns. Cause you never really know how these young cornerbacks are going to fare when they get out there and they get against these really veteran receivers. One thing that really helps Greg Newsom, if he's not exactly where he's supposed to be at the right moment, he has the speed to get there so he can recover very quickly and get to where he needs to be. I mean, there are times when I, like he's broken up the past a couple of times and I wasn't sure he was going to get there to do it and boom, he's there. So I think that's a great attribute for him that he's got that tremendous closing speed, which by the way, JOK also has. Uh, so they've gotten so much faster on defense just because of a couple of these young guys. Um, and, you know, Greg just looks, he looks the part. Now he hasn't been tested. He just has not been tested much. I think it's what four, four catches on seven targets that have yep. come this way. In the beginning, teams somehow knew that Denzel Ward was going to be off to a little bit of a slow start. And they were going after Denzel more than they were going after Greg. Um, and, and it was kind of working until Denzel really woke up and had a really, really great game against the Vikings. But um, the moment is not too big for Greg, and I think he's going to be really, really good. So it'll be a nice battle between these two as we go forward. Okay, let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball then and do the offensive player of uh, of the first quarter. Scott, who do you have here? And I really tried to convince myself that Joel Petonio was the guy. Like I was going through all I'd, sorts I'd of stuff. I'm thinking like it's got to like Petonio – the offensive line never gets the credit they deserve. Obviously um, I'm, I'm guessing everybody here has picked a skill position player, um, but I really wanted to pick Petonio. He's having a really great year. He's like the only Browns player above 80 in pass blocking and run blocking grade. Um, Browns have their best success rate when they run after behind him. He pulled, you know, he pulls a lot when, when Petonio pulls as a blocker, he leads the league, all offensive linemen and expected points added, which means, Plays where Batonio pulls are more successful and are part of more drives that end with points than plays where other linemen pull as a blocker. But in the end, I just went with Kareem Hunt because it was just easier. <laughs> He's uh, and he hasn't even played 50 percent of the snaps. So I was like, do I really want to pick somebody who who hasn't? But I don't know, he's fifth in yards per attempt, second in yards after contact, third in rushing yards over expected, which is a next gen stat statistic. Um, EPA per attempt, fifth in the league. I mean, he's, yeah, he doesn't get the most carries. Um, he's not even first on yards from scrimmage for the Browns, but uh, he's been a big catalyst for the offense. And when he does touch the ball, good things tend to happen. I love a good argument, though, for Joel Batonio, especially after that game he played on Sunday. I mean, he was incredible. There was one series where he was just a, a wall on, on the left side, and he was helping out James Hudson, and, and he was – he was incredible. He just, he just kind of keeps getting better and, and better. Uh, as he, he almost completed away. a bank pass with his back. I mean, 
Yeah, I, I would listen to an argument for Joel Batonio on this. I, I had Kareem Hunt, too, for a lot of the reasons you just said, Scott. And, you know, the last two weeks, the Browns have really turned to Hunt to kind of get the offense moving. And he's sort of been the guy on, on sort of the biggest drives for this offense the last two weeks. And, and I think in my mind, that sort of solidifies him. But uh, Mary Kay or, or Ellis, save us here and, and actually pick Joel Batonio. You know what? I'm sorry. I It didn't take me even two seconds uh, to write down Kareem Hunt's name here. Uh, of course, last week, I, I, I've written a couple of columns about Kareem Hunt over the past few weeks. Um, and, and one of them, or over the past month or so, one of them was that I, I really felt he was underutilized against the Chiefs in the playoff game last year, and that I thought they really should rely on some of that emotion in the opener this year. And they didn't. They didn't do it. And I think they're really, you know, they starting, they're starting to figure out what they have in Kareem. Uh, and I, the column that I wrote last week was basically, you need to rely more on Kareem Hunt, who could arguably be their best offensive weapon, their best offensive weapon, because he is multiple and he can do so much in the run game and the passing game. And I wonder what you guys think about that. I mean, I could, took a little bit of a, a leap of faith by writing it like that, but I believe it. I think he could be their best offensive, offensive weapon right now. And I think they are really starting to take advantage of that. Because again, not, not only does he have all this extra emotion, you know, just for the Chiefs, but I, I made the case or the argument that um, the game was taken away from him. The game was ripped away from him and he had to get everything all back and he has a gratitude for the game. And when you put him in front of the Cleveland Browns fans, you can just see that there's something extra. He digs deep to say, thank you. You know, thank you for sticking by me and forgiving me. Yes. I made an egregious error. I did something horrible, but I've atoned for it and I want to give back and I want to win a Super Bowl. And Uh, There's just so much to be said. We talk about Jarvis being sort of the, you know, the contagious inspirational leader. Well, if if it's not Kareem Hunt, he's right up there in my, in my mind tied with Jarvis. Yeah. And and I think Scott made the case for Joel Petonio already. I mean, I'm just trying now to imagine what this offense looks like without him. You probably see a lot more interior pressures uh, for Baker Mayfield, who's already struggling. You, You don't see this run game be as versatile as it is. You, you don't see it's go-to power when he pulls. And to me, that really almost made me change my mind. I mean, I, I really think we could almost co-award uh, this to to both of them. But I, like y'all, I had Kareem Hunt uh, down for everything you guys listed. And, and to me, it comes down to just some key moments. Uh, he was the spark that flipped the game in Chicago. His 22 yard draw play in Minnesota was just absurd and resulted in points and was a clear moment where the Browns are really just trying to get out of the half. And then that, again, he's able to flip the field like that. And then he, he scores uh, in back to back games, of course, with that, that Viking touchdown as well. So um, it's beyond impressive what he's able to do with the limited snaps that he has. And it, he's probably a player of the Browns, should lean on more. I don't know how much more they can run the ball than they already are. Uh, but for just his efficiency alone, uh, I, I think that puts him in a unique spot in this league and, and worthy of, of being this team's offensive MVP so far through four games. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to get an argument from me, Mary Kay. Somebody can go pull the tapes huh. back in like 
early 2020 or 2019, I, I think I, I said something like Kareem Hunt's the most versatile weapon the Browns have, something like that. So um, I agree. And interesting, this this week was the first week this season where he has taken more snaps um, than, than Nick Chubb. So uh, the Browns have sort of turned him for a spark while Chubb has, has kind of struggled to get going in the last two games. It's, I mean, teams are probably trying to kind of slow this run game down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that Hunt kind of lets you open it up because he is so versatile and he can do so many different things. Um, so, yeah, all right, we're going to go Kareem Hunt, but we're also going to give a, an honorable mention slash shout out to uh, to our guy, Joel Batonio here. Okay, so our next category here is the biggest surprise. This can be good or bad, um, but what what or whom has been your biggest surprise this season? Who's, who's got a good one here? This, think- this can only be one person, oh. right? <laughs> oh, I don't know. No, I think I, I guess we're gonna. I guess we're gonna find out. Yeah. Okay. You go, Scott. It's got to be Chase McLaughlin. Oh. I mean, yeah. Of all the people that had low expectations coming into this season and really uh, shot past them, you know, you got a, a kicker who has not missed. Who is the he? Well, he became the first kicker since Phil Dawson to hit two fifty-yard field goals in the same game. And he became the first kicker since Phil Dawson to have uh, 50-yard field goals in more than one game in a season. Like, uh, the connection just won't go away. <laughs> He's like Phil Dawson waiting to happen, right? Um, but, yeah, I, I saw this category, and I'm like, Chase McLaughlin. I mean, no, he's, he's probably, even surprised the, probably even surprised the people that made the decision to keep him. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we were – they wouldn't even say he was the kicker when he was the only kicker on the roster. And, and here he is now. He's pretty much locked that job down. So, yeah, that's um, that's a good one. Mary Kay, what did you have? Well, you know, that that brings uh, to mind the fact that, you know, someday when I'm sitting in the uh, Hall of Fame selection room and we are presenting Chase McLaughlin, <laughs> he's going to say they didn't even name me the kicker in training camp that year. You know, I went out and made three 50 yard field goals in, in weeks three and four. They didn't even tell me I had the job. Right. Can you just hear it? Um, <laughs> no, he's, he he's going to be a, he's going to be a drop the mic guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my it. God. Uh, you know what? I mean, that, that's such a good one, Scott. I, uh, Mike Prefer often accuses me of not caring enough about <laughs> special teams. And, and you know what? I like, he's got me there. You know, sometimes I really don't care enough about special teams but this is the perfect example of that you need to and look what he's been able to do so um so that that's an excellent one and i didn't even think of it because i forget about special teams sometimes or not forget about it but i just don't give it enough credence my most surprising uh thing of the season so far is that baker mayfield has two touchdown passes after four games i'm sorry that just surprises the absolute heck out of me. It really does. I did not see that coming for anything. Okay. I mean, by this point, uh, especially because they, you know, they weren't necessarily playing some of the juggernauts of the NFL in this first quarter. Uh, I certainly thought by now that he would have, you know, whatever, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 touchdown passes, 11, you know, <laughs> Um, something not other seven, than, not eight, not nine, <laughs> something other than two, right? Uh, it's just uh, not at all what I saw coming, and I, I haven't done the math yet, 
Somebody help me out with math real quick. What does that project to over the 17 game season? Well, if, got if, it? if these are our, if these are our quarter full awards, right? So that would be eight plus you get that extra game nine. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he yep, should yep, yep. he should have had two uh, to OBJ against the Vikings. Yeah. Really. Right. <laughs> Maybe another so, one to Kareem Hunt. Yeah. So we thought. I mean, we have him. I think most of us. I know for sure. LSU actually put that number too at thirty something touchdown passes. Um, and I 100% agreed with that because that's what guys do in the second season of Kevin Stefanski's Kyle Shanahan's offense. You throw 30 touchdown passes and you throw maybe 10 interceptions and you complete 68% of your passes. That's what you do. And you end up with a rating over hundred. That's how this works. And the two has really, really shocked the heck out of me. And especially this past game, so out of character very strange. And um, I think he's going to get it turned around, but so far for me, that's been the biggest surprise of the first quarter. Yeah. And my pick ties into that. Uh, it, it's not a player. It's a, it's a unit, but I'm just surprised at how average the Browns red zone offense is. They're, they're converting touchdowns at only a 62% clip. Uh, that's good for 17th league wide. I, I believe they were a top four offense, definitely top five last year, converting somewhere in the 80% range other touchdowns. And a lot of that has to do with Baker Mayfield. Uh, he's not as accurate and as precise in the red zone right now. Uh, Kevin Spansky, I, I don't think is calling his best plays in the red zone either, but again, this is a, this is a Baker Mayfield issue. Uh, the Odell touchdown um, in the red zone is a great example of that. And to me, this is a team that I thought was going to be uh, almost just, gimmies down there in the red zone with how versatile they can attack you uh whether it was Kareem Hunt Nick Chubb or I thought Baker really uh, owning the red zone area and that just hasn't happened yet again I think it turns around but uh, aside from Baker stepping it up I really don't have an explanation for why uh they've been so mediocre so mediocre so far through four games yeah and, and my, my biggest surprise kind of ties into that as well. Um, it's the fact that we're talking about the defense more than we are the offense after four games. And I mean, after this team jumped out on the chiefs, 22 to 10 in the first half of that game, you know, I think we all felt like coming into this season, we were going to be talking about how high flying and high scoring this offense was uh, early in the season. And you know, I, I mean, the points have been there. I, I mean, this last game, obviously, they only scored 14. I mean, they put up points. They scored 31 against Houston. They scored 26 against the Bears. So the points have been there. The yards have been there. But it still just doesn't feel – it doesn't feel like this is a dynamic, high-scoring offense right now. Um, so that's why I think the surprise here is we're talking about how dominant the defense has been. Because I think coming in, it was like, okay, the offense will just hit the ground running and, and it's going to pick up right where it left off last year. And the defense is going to take some time. But here we are coming off a 14-7 win over the Vikings. And the story the last two weeks has been the play of the defense. So um, that's, that's kind of my biggest surprise there. I think those all, sort of, those all sort of tie together here. Baker Mayfield's performance, the red zone offense, and, and then really the fact that we're talking about the defense and not how many points this team is scoring. Yeah, they've been completely bailed out by the defense. I mean, even again, after Grant, or excuse me, Greedy Williams interception in Minnesota, the defense had to go out there two more times and hold off a Vikings offense that felt like they just were going to eventually 
score a touchdown. I mean, your defense can only hold off uh, uh, probability wise so many times and they, they answered the call, but this, this offense uh, needs to pick it up because they're asking a lot of a defense and one that, you know, is shining right now, but you, you have to expect some regression. And so you know what? I, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was going to say is, I, I guess just to check myself on that, though, is that a little too prisoner of the moment on this offense? Because there are stats out there that show this offense has been good. But for some reason, it just doesn't feel like it's passing, like it's passing the eyeball test to the level that, that some of those stats are, are showing. With Ellis saying that, you know, I mean, with Ellis's stats on, on the red zone and with Baker only throwing two touchdown passes, that's why we feel the way that we do. I mean, you have to be, uh, you know, you need to be scoring the football and your passing game has to be working in order for you, I think, to feel like this offense is living up to its potential. And it's absolutely not. And I think it's too simple to just attribute it to Jarvis Landry not being here. I just think that's, I just think that's a cop-out. I think it's too easy. I know that Jarvis is vitally important. I do understand that. And I think everything's going to get better when he gets back. But there are so many weapons on this offense, so many pass catchers on this offense that it's just, I mean, we were wondering like, how were you going to spread the ball around? There's too many guys to catch the football. Well, you know, you not, you had an opportunity. You took one away for three weeks. Now you can get it to everybody else and it's not happening. So I, I don't think that we are a prisoner of the moment. I think that this is a thing. I think it's going to change, but to this point, it's been, it's been very real. Yeah. And they're an excellent running team. I mean, second in DVOA behind only Dallas and, and they're basically tied. Um, it, it has a lot to do with the, you know, the two running backs, of course, Dallas has Ezekiel and Tony Pollard and the Browns have two better ones in, in Chubb and Hunt and the offensive line we already talked about. So, I mean, they're, they're as good, if not better running the football, this really just comes down to a passing offense that hasn't even kept up with where it was at a year ago and hasn't taken the leap where I think we all thought they would. This, this stretch right now kind of feels like last season when they played the Colts and then followed up with the Steelers. There were like some issues against the Colts and then obviously everything kind of fell apart the next week. Um, I mean, this, this year that they won both games, which is good. Uh, but, and then, you know, he followed that up. The Bengals game was after that. And then that just kind of, you know, he had one of his best games of the season Baker did. So maybe that's what we're in store for against the chargers. Um, but I do think that, yeah, it's four games and you can look at some trends at this point, but I don't, I'm not ready to say there's huge issues here. I'm, I'm still leaning towards, this was a bad game for whatever reason, the, the Browns should have won that by three touchdowns. Um, if like two more completions are made. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of in wait and see mode for what's really going on with this offense. So I, I guess this sort of feeds right into the most disappointing because of what I just said, I kind of have to make the offense uh, my, my most, my most disappointing just for the reasons I laid out there. I did have Jedrick Wills here too, just because, and it's a little unfair because he hurt the ankle, but I think he was, there was some thinking he would kind of make a jump this year. And, and we just, we haven't seen it again, not entirely his fault, but I had him as, as my most disappointing, but I guess also based on what I just said about the offense and uh, um, I, I might include them in that as well. So who did you guys have as most disappointing? I, I had OBJ's impact as the most disappointing. Uh, you know, it's, I think we, nobody wanted to get ahead of themselves and expect him to do huge, great things against the bears. It was his first game and, you know, he 
admitted he was exhausted afterwards, but it's just that imp- we're still waiting for it. You know, um, it just hasn't materialized the way everybody kind of hoped. And you watch the Vikings, you know, and you see watching Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson just reminded me of like Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown. It doesn't really like just throw it up and he, you know, doesn't really matter. Just throw it up. Can't, doesn't have to be a great throw. He's going to catch it. There's all the confidence in the world. I just, Baker and, and, and Beckham aren't there. I don't know if they'll ever be there. Um, this week, it seemed like Twitter was flooded with all those stats showing what Baker was with and without OBJ. So that argument's still out there. Um, but it is kind of disappointing how it just, we're you know still in the same spot, waiting for something to happen with these guys. I'd have to say my, my most disappointing, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm doubling up. My, my biggest surprise is basically uh, tied right into uh, the most disappointing. And that is just, um, you know, just Baker right now. I mean, you know, Baker, even in the bears game, I thought that um, he missed a couple of throws there uh, that I, that I thought were a little surprising. And I even go back to, uh, you know, the first game against the chiefs and, you know, you have uh, an opportunity to pull the game out and, you know, you throw the, the pick there at the end. So um, for my mind, for now, like I said, I, I would have thought that he would have be approaching double digit touchdowns. I would have thought that uh, everybody would be eating at the trough of touchdown mania. <laughs> I, you know, I thought all the, the weapons and the pass catchers were going to be excited and happy about what was going on. And I still think that's all out there for them. But to this point, that's, that's my most disappointing. Yeah, and, and we're going to keep a theme of uh, passing game disappointment going here. Mine's David Njoku, and it, it's not all related to just his performance on the field, uh, but this was a tight end that I saw in training camp look like the, the best tight end on the team. I thought he had a, a chance to be a top 10 tight end in the league, and the opportunities have not been there. Uh, you know, he started off a, a, with a nice game in the Chiefs game, uh, but he's he's just used – sparingly and he and the chances he does have um you know baker's either facing pressure or bailing out of the pocket in much like obj you haven't seen ninjoku materialize and those are two pass catchers that you know it's easy to buy in when the team's winning and winning because of a high octane offense things could get frustrating if these offensive woes continue and you see guys like obj and david ninjoku who um are confident in what they could do with the ball, not have those opportunities. I'm not sure how long that lasts. We talk about uh, not enough balls to go around or keeping everybody happy. Uh, they've got some playmakers on this team that perhaps could see themselves benefiting elsewhere um, if this offense doesn't become m- more explosive. They, they just are limited in the passing game right now, and, and I thought David Njoku would be a, a larger part of why they were making plays downfield, and they're just not. I had him down at one point as my most disappointing um, might've been biggest surprise too, that he hasn't been more either way. Yeah. But after watching that first game and seeing him be a target down the field a few times, and then it's really not, we haven't seen that at all really since then it's been a surprise. Okay. Let's move through these last, uh, these last three and let's change the tone here a little bit. Let's uh, let's get back on the positive side. Uh, the player poised, to make a leap here over the next 
how many games are there? 13 games. The player most poised to make a big leap. Um, I've got mine, but I'm curious who else has this guy. And I think there's a lot of ways to go here. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know what? I'll just go first on this one. I don't think I've gone first yet. Uh, maybe I have. Grant <laughs> Delpit. He's, he's the guy I have on my list. He's really coming on strong. Um, he's played really well since, uh, since getting his opportunity to get on the field against the Texans. You know, Ronnie Harrison, as much as I like the guy, he kind of continues to struggle to stay on the field for various reasons. He got thrown out of the Chiefs game, uh, had, had the concussion. It's, it's, he's not in the concussion protocol, but he had to get checked for a concussion um, against, the, against the Vikings. You know, again, I hate to hold injuries against a guy, but we're seeing this a little bit with Harrison where he's kind of struggled to stay on the field consistently. And now that's created an opportunity for Delpit, who played a ton of snaps on Sunday. And every week you're scrolling through Twitter and you just see this guy making plays. And I think he's a guy that can just continue to grow. Yeah, I, I had him too. Um, I, I thought about JOK and the argument would have been that he's going to get so much better once they give him even more responsibility. Um, but Delbert's an easy one. He had 65 snaps against the Vikings. Somehow PFF did not give him a pass breakup for that diving uh, yeah. pass that he, he knocked away. Um, was it, was so it because, I, I, was that the one with the penalty with the roughing penalty? Maybe that's, was it? Maybe, maybe, maybe it was. Yeah. But yeah, was I, I, I kind of, I remember the play, but yeah, he, I mean, that was his best game and it's encouraging that he, it was in a game when he got, you know, by far the most snaps he's seen this season. So, yeah, the better he gets and the more he's used, that just adds. I mean, he was the guy that we talked about versatility-wise last year, you know, before JOK ever showed up. Grant Delpit was supposed to be the guy that unlocked a lot of what they could do on defense, and you want to have him out there and just getting more experience. And last, uh, the last game was seemed like it was a step in the right direction. Yeah, I had two guys down, and I was kind of going back and forth between which one I wanted to, to use. Uh, the one guy I felt like it was sort of the, uh, you know, the, the music awards and Adele was just up there just taking everything. And I, so it was JOK was one of my, my people, because I do think as Scott just mentioned that the upside is tremendous. I don't think he has scratched the surface in terms of the, the dynamic game changing plays he's going to make in terms of strip sacks and takeaways and things like that. I think those things are coming this football. I have never seen a football team practice takeaways more than the Cleveland Browns do. And it's going to start translating over to the field before too long. They just emphasize it way too much for it not to start translating. But I, so Grant Delpit was the other person that I had written down and like uh, James, I mean, John Johnson uh, had, had such a great quote and description about Grant Delpit yesterday when he just talked to, talks about, he, you know, he wants to make every single play out there. Uh, he's always, you know, getting his nose in there and he, you know, he, he wants to, uh, you know, just be where the ball is all the time. And, and it was really cool to hear him talk about him. So, yeah, I think Grant, Grant's got tremendous, tremendous upside. And I think uh, we can all see where, where the Browns were going with that pick last year. Ellis, I think you're muted. Here we go. <laughs> um, it makes a, a ton of sense. Uh, for me, I went a different direction only because you have to think about the, the, how far the leap can be. Right. And for me, that's Malik McDowell. This is a guy who was outside of football, uh, 
for you know three four years there and now is back and, and is already in the starting lineup already making plays uh i believe he has nine or ten pressures on the year he he looks like a, a real force next to malik jackson and and deserves a lot of credit for why this Browns defensive line has carried them to two straight wins. So I'm just excited to see how he can keep building on this. I, I mean, I just can't wrap my head around a guy who was away from football, um, an afterthought to make the roster and then slides in as a starter already. And, and is now here again, a, a huge reason why the defensive line is making plays. Um, I don't think he's anywhere near his ceiling. I don't think he has, you know, the type of, uh, upside as someone like Grant Delpit has, but for someone who's just scratching the surface, I think, I think it is McDowell and it's going to be intriguing to see how Chris Kiffin continues to just ask him to do more and build upon his long frame and natural explosiveness. I, I, I balled him for biggest surprise because I, I mean, look, I don't think we can state overstate what the point you were making there, Ellis, how hard it is that this guy was drafted in 2017 and yep. played his first NFL game. Didn't play any preseason games, nothing like that. Played his first NFL game in 2021. And he Crazy. looks like a guy that is kind of what the Seahawks were expecting when they made him that pick in the second round. That's almost impossible. I, I would there, There's not enough data out there to figure out like what the odds are of that happening. But it's such an unlikely thing to happen. So... Yeah, Malik McDowell definitely deserves a little love on this podcast. If, if we're handing out awards and talking about biggest surprises or uh, guys poised to make jumps. Yeah, this is a good one, Ellis. This is a great one. I mean, what, what a great, great story that this is. I love a good story of redemption. It's one of my favorite things. I believe people can change. I believe people can turn their lives around. I love a good success story. And this is one of them to this point so far. So good for him. And, you know, whenever I, I look up and see him making a play, man, he is a mauler and he doesn't look like, uh, like he's playing his first four games in the NFL. I mean, he just doesn't, it's really weird, uh, to look up and see that he looks like he knows what the heck he is doing in the NFL. Uh, so good for him. I think some of that has to do with Chris Kiffin, who I think is just an amazing coach. Uh, if Chris Kiffin, well, he had an opportunity to be a defensive coordinator and interview to be a defensive coordinator this year. He's going to be one. He's going to be one somewhere soon. He's a really good coach. Um, and he's doing a great job with Malik McDowell. And I love watching him play. Yeah. And last point real quick, you know, it's not like the Browns um, had a, no one at D tackle in front of him. I mean, this is a team that had Andrew Billings slotted there. They spent a third round pick on Jordan Elliott. And then here comes a guy who hasn't played football in four years and, and leapfrogs both of them and does it this quickly. It, it, it says a, a ton about, again, what I think where his ceiling is and how far he's come this quickly. Mm -hmm. All right, let's swing the pendulum back here and go worst moment of the first quarter. I'll rip the band. Yeah, sorry, I'll rip the bandit off. It was the Odell kill shot miss in, in Minnesota. I, I think a lot of this um, feels different about Baker Mayfield and Odell if they hit that. And it's a pretty routine play, yet somehow that combo finds a way to miss it. And it's one of those things that can snowball quickly when you miss that poorly. And just the, the electric moment it would have been um, – you, they missed on it. He's wide open. And it was one of the few times you saw Odell 
really verbally, physically express his frustration in his quarterback. He's been great at, at avoiding that, and he, he couldn't, and, and for good reason. That To me, that was just disappointing, worse, however you want to put it. it it's just for someone who had no worries that Baker and Odell were going to figure it out this year, it, it's unexplainable when you miss that. Yeah, watch watching uh, – was, I think Justin Fields – no, it was Jalen Hurts uh, kind of roll out of the pocket, go downfield. Um, it was a great throw. I think, I don't know if it was a touchdown or they landed right at the goal line uh, on Sunday. It's like kind of what Baker had to do with Odell earlier in the game, get it over the defenders. Odell had a step or two and it just hit the guy in the back of the head. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, and then obviously that one late it's yeah, those are, those are good. That's, those were pretty bad moments. Mary Kay, what did you have? Well, I'm, I'm tied for two. So let me, um, I, I think I'll leave the one to one of you guys. Cause I, I, I know somebody's going to choose that one. Um, so I'll let you guys choose that one. I'm going to take the, and I, I know I'm being hard on Baker Mayfield, this podcast. I know <laughs> I am, but, but here's why, because I set the bar very high for your number one overall pick quarterback going into his fourth season in the second season in the system. You've got to be really, really good. And I think he will be, but we need to see better. Okay. And so my worst moment is right now is throwing an interception uh, in the two minute drill in Kansas city with a chance to win the football game or win the football game there right that's that's my worst moment because I went back and I looked at all of Baker's opportunities to pull out a game uh in such a in such a situation where you he's got a chance to win it and what happened in those situations nine times uh he he did not he didn't pull it off and five in five of those nine times he turned the ball over four interceptions and a fumble. Okay. So game is on the line nine times, four interceptions. And a fumble. that's not okay. Okay. That's not what you need. You need, you, we're all watching a lot of really good football this year. And I'll, quite often we have seen really good quarterbacks go down and pull out a victory in the final two minutes of a game or the final minute of a game. And that's what you have to do. So many games are close in the NFL. You've got to be able to, to, to be money in the clutch and particularly not turn it over in that situation. So I'm holding him to a higher standard than maybe I should, but that's the expectation for, for a franchise quarterback. I, I think that's, I, I know the other one you're talking about. And yeah. I was thinking about that one it's the it's the Gillen punt, right? The drop right. punt, right? The drop snap. Um, yep. And I was thinking about that one, and I was weighing that against the interception. And yep. the case I would make for the punt not being number one is, I think we put a little too much weight on the fact that the Chiefs scored because of that play. Right. There's a really good chance the Chiefs would have taken that punt and scored anyway. Right. Now it would have been hot. harder, but yes. that offense was rolling in the second half. So. Yeah. 
that play certainly made life a whole lot easier on the Chiefs and was very costly for the Browns. I don't want to downplay it, but yep. there's no guarantee that the Chiefs wouldn't have fielded that punt and marched 60 yards to take the lead. Um, had, I agree. Had Dylan gotten it off cleanly. So I think the, the interception, because of the situation, because it was a play that a fourth-year quarterback, you, you don't want to see him make, especially if he, if he was trying to throw the football away. Now, Harrison Bryant could have broken that pass up. I, I've looked at it a few times, and, and that's certainly he, – he could have done a better job. But Baker can't make that – can't throw that interception. So, yeah, I, I would make that the worst moment over the, over the Gillen drop snap. I'm glad you brought that up, Dan, because you're the first person that I have heard actually utter that about the Gillen snap. I mean, everybody, like, piled on him so badly for that. But at that point in the game – uh, you know, that's the point where Patrick Mahomes had turned into Superman and he was dynamite and they didn't have an answer for Tyreek and they did not have an answer uh, for Travis Kelsey and Ronnie Harrison was out of the game. John Johnson was tired. Denzel Ward wasn't himself. There's a darn good chance they were scoring anyways. And I put the interception there because he had a chance. To, I mean, they got the ball back with the chance to, to win the game. So. I thought it was more important. I mean, the drop snap was really bad. You, you yeah. cannot give, you can't give the chiefs that short of a field. <laughs> we certainly shouldn't, shouldn't let Gillen right. off the hook there though, either. Right. Scott, what did you have? So before I tell you my worst moment, I got to tell you my best moment because they're kind of tied the best <laughs> moment. It'll be a good segue. Yeah. So for best moment, I put down anytime the Browns go for it on fourth down or decide to go for two after a penalty on the extra point attempt. I know people are screaming at their TV saying, take the points. I see, you know, people texting us. I see it on social media, but what you're really doing is passing by the opportunity for more points. And the average, you look at the average gain for playing the NFL and the success rate and picking up one, two, three, four, even five yards on a play. That's always, that should always outweigh what you'd gain on a get from a field goal. But Tonio said uh, earlier in the season, how it felt normal. Now you know, it's like, this is what we do. That's what the NFL does. That's what every team does. That's what they were doing. Uh, San Diego and, and Oakland on Monday night, you know, going forward on fourth down. Um, and the Browns did it a lot. They were 11th most, they're 11th, ranked 11th in fourth down conversion attempts. So now my worst moment, how the Browns have failed to execute on those fourth down attempts. They were really bad last year. They were like ranked 30th, 33% conversion rate. They started off so well this year. They were three or four against the chiefs. And that was a big reason why they got that lead on them. But then, they've been one in four since and like three of the last four have been sacks. Uh, just not a good look for the analytics community as a whole. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those, those are my best and worst moments. I think they're doing, I think they're on the right track. They just, for whatever reason, have such a hard time converting on fourth down. Yeah. For, uh, three sacks on fourth down in the last two games, back to back to start the game. And I thought two weeks ago, I thought it was going to happen again until the, uh, until the Vikings committed a penalty on fourth down on the second drive. I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, it's going to happen again. Back to back fourth down sacks could have happened. Uh, so yeah, this, this is, this is a good one, Scott. It's, it's been, it's been kind of weird. I think it'll get better. Um, when, when Jed is feeling himself, or Chris Harbert is back. I, I think that's had a lot to do with some of the problems. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the aggression is great and it's going to continue. Um, you know, weirdly, like Sean McVay never goes for it on fourth down. 
<laughs> Whereas while the rest of the league is, is going the other way, weirdly, he never does. It's such a bizarre, a bizarre trend for him. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad the Browns have embraced this. I love the going for two on those penalties. It, it's just, it's maximizing your points. And um, over the course of 17 games, the Browns are going to benefit from it um, when, as that sample size grows. Okay, so uh, best moments for you, Mary Kay and Ellis. Whoever wants to go first here. I'll go. My best moment, Greedy Williams interception in Minnesota. And I think the reason why this is the, the best moment, and you know, if we had the emotional pod up and running, this would be the, the perfect thing for the emotional pod. But for Greedy Williams uh, to sit out the whole season with the shoulder injury, for him to help Greg Newsom. Uh, get to where he is, to be able to start games, to mentor him and to help him so much, to lose his starting job to the rookie, to keep his head up, to stay in the game, and then to finally get his moment where he's going to start. Not only is he going to start, he's going to have to play against his old teammate from LSU, Justin Jefferson. And we're all pretty convinced that Justin Jefferson and the Minnesota Vikings are going to just take advantage of greedy and it's going to be a really rough outing for him, right? But no, he makes the biggest defensive play of the game. He picks off Kirk Cousins, and it was a great play. I mean, that was a great heads-up interception. It was tight, and he made the play. It was great. I watched it again a few times. So exciting for him. So happy for him. My best moment of the first quarter. Yeah, it was great because he recognized – it wasn't like he was following him through that route. It wasn't like that was his – initial assignment or it was a bad throw or something like that. It was, he recognized what was going on and uh, decided you know, he needed to get over there and, and, and make something happen. And, and, you know, if he's not there, that's, that's Tyreek Hill against, you know, yep. week one all over again. It's, that's a touchdown. So. Yep. Ellis, what did you have? Oh, we got you muted again. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> it was halftime of the chiefs game uh, to take a double digit lead over the, the Kansas city chiefs. It, it felt like that was a Browns offense. that was just rolling. They scored on all three of their first possessions. You saw uh, flashes of what Anthony shorts was going to bring to the offense. Uh, you saw Kareem hunt making plays as he's continued. And you thought, Hey, this is an offense that doesn't even have Odell Beckham jr. You saw Jarvis Landry score that scrappy rushing touchdown the uh, Kevin Stancy going for it on fourth down and it actually working. Uh, that was thus far the best version of the Browns offense. I'm more than confident that they can get there, uh, but you really haven't seen that since. <clears throat> and we know of course how the chiefs game ended, uh, but just to go back to what halftime felt like in that moment, you, you felt like the Browns were uh, the real deal and you were just worried about the defense and none of these offensive question marks uh, existed and now see how quickly things can change. But I think eventually we do get both versions of this Browns team an offense that uh, looked like it did at halftime of the Kansas city game. And then a, a Browns defense that's playing like it is now. And, and then we arrive at where we always thought the Browns were. And that's a, a top three, top four team in the AFC. Okay. And I'm going to bring us back and wrap this up with the name that I said, we weren't allowed to mention when we talked about the Browns defensive player of the year or the defensive player of the first quarter. I'm going to go with Miles Garrett getting his name chanted at First Energy Stadium during that four and a half sack performance. Um, it, it's just, uh, you know, this is a guy that Browns fans have obviously embraced and he's, he's really become 
like one of their own. And, and I remember that Texans game when everything was just nuts, they introduced the defense first. And when they introduced Miles Garrett, it was like, you know, Michael Jordan used to say that he couldn't hear his name over the, the PA when they introduced him before games at, at one point. It got so loud in there. It felt like that when they introduced Miles Garrett uh, before that, that, that game against Houston. And then for him to have four and a half sacks against, uh, against the Bears and have his name chanted and all of that. I mean, this has been sort of, I, I don't know. I don't want to know if I want to call it a breakout for Miles Garrett, but it's sort of, I mean, this is the start of a potential defensive player of the year run for him. And he's, he's been great. And now again, you know, this Minnesota game, he's built on it. He didn't put up huge stats against Minnesota, but he had nine pressures. Um, I mean, that's obviously a huge stat. Again, scroll through Twitter. There are, there's all these GIFs, all these screenshots of him just running people over. Uh, Doug Lay Maurice wrote about it after the game on Sunday. He's, he's putting together an incredible year, and, and so far that's been the peak for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's really good, Dan. And the day after, after that, or the two days after that, I can't remember which one it was, uh, but he had the press conference downtown for um, – <laughs> Yeah. you know, for play, for placing uh, the mural in Cleveland and, and basically the theme of, of the, you know, of that, uh, you know, was, you know, he is, he is making his mark uh, on this city in, uh, you know, on and off the field. I mean, he had that record setting performance and he's giving back to this community community. And I think that, uh, that this is another one of those stories of redemption and it's a story of Cleveland really uh, forgiving and embracing a player who made a mistake and Cleveland loves Miles Garrett, like, like no tomorrow. And like you said, those chants in the stadium, I mean, he's, you know, he's so at home here and um, I don't know, everything has changed since, you know, what could have taken uh, a player under in his career and everything's just gotten so much better uh, for him since then. So it's great to see. Yeah, you should win defensive player of the year just based on that triple team he beat uh, against the Vikings. That was just insane. Uh, Beckham said he wasn't impressed by the four and a half sacks. I bet he was impressed by that. <laughs> All right, there we go. Our, uh, our first quarter awards here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you're a football insider subscriber. Go to cleveland.com slash browns. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to our podcast as we go through the week here, getting, re- getting you ready for a gigantic game in Los Angeles on Sunday against Justin Herbert and the Chargers. That I'll just put it out there. That one should be the shootout we were promised last year. That that should be a fun game. So I just guaranteed it would be like nine to three. No more shootout anyway. talk from you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not buying it anymore. All right. So we'll just wrap it up there. For Mary Kay Scott and Ellis, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.